So, oh, I forgot to bring the, the little program with me. What's the title? Are you a human being having a spiritual experience, or are you a spiritual being having a human experience? Right. Have you heard that before? Yes. Right. I mean, that's, that's a, common, a common question. We'll get to it. But I want to start with something else. So I imagine most of you are like me. One of the first things you do when you walk in the door here on a Sunday morning is you put on a name tag. Everything wrong in your life begins with putting on a name tag. <laughs> but you do it anyway. All right, I come in, I put on a name tag. The name tag says, Rabbi Rami Shapiro. I mean, there, that's, it's so heavy, that name tag. You know, Rabbi, there's thousands of years of baggage that comes with that that weighs me down. But, okay, that's who I am. What we're doing is, when we put on a name tag, we're labeling our bodies. So, you know, that's how I know this is Frank, because it says so on his name tag. And there's, where's Kitty? Kitty's got her name tag, same thing, tells me that's Kitty. With that one act of putting on the name tag, you've reduced yourself to a body. And with this reduction comes the question, am I a spiritual being having a material experience or a physical experience, or am I uh, a I don't forget how he said it. Am I a spiritual being having material experience, or am I a physical being, material being, having a... Did I say it wrong again? You know, you know what it is. It's somehow somehow the, the name tag is weighing too heavily on me. But this question can only arise when you identify as a body. Right? Because then it's, oh, is this, which is primary, the physical or the spiritual? What does your name tag say to someone who's never met you before? Right, you walk in the room, someone new here, they've never met you, and your name tag says Morris. It says nothing to them. I mean, it, it doesn't tell them anything about you. Right? It just says that this body that I'm facing responds to a certain noise that I can make when I make the noise Morris. Right? So if I say, um, Jill, raise your right hand. <laughs> right? Only Jill did that. Because you all go, hey, nope, not me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Jill. Jill did it because her name tag says she's Jill, and that means her body is Jill, and her right hand is Jill, so she raises her right hand. It's all predetermined by your name tag. But the name tag doesn't really tell you much else. Now, when you put on a name tag, meet someone who doesn't know you, they've learned only that sound. They don't know what makes you happy. They don't know what makes you sad. They don't know what your dreams are, what your fears are. They just know that if they utter a certain, make a certain noise, your body will do a certain thing. That's all they know. And yet we put so much emphasis on the name. Now, I'm going beyond the tag here, right? We're just unlabeling ourselves. Now, I'm not opposed to name tags in general, 
or to naming in general. I mean, it makes good sense, right? Because let's say, you know, let's say a piece of the ceiling was about to fall uh, to the floor over Austin, and it's good to know that that body responds to the sound Austin, so I can say, Austin, look out, the ceiling's collapsing. <clears throat> right? He'll do something. And the rest of us will go, what? <laughs> if I didn't know that was Austin, or keep the analogy going here, if I didn't know that that body would respond to the noise Austin, and I just said, look out, the, sky, the ceiling's falling, he might not do anything, and he would be hit by the piece of falling ceiling. So it's not that it's, you don't need a name, it's just that we shouldn't overdo what the value of the name is. So I'm not disparaging name tags. I'm simply suggesting that they don't tell us anything of real importance. Now, what about the person wearing the name tag? They know a lot more about themselves than they can put in a name tag. But what if what they know is just another kind of name tag? Right, so I know that I'm a Jew. That's a big, heavy name tag. Right? Now, how do I know that? It's because at a certain point in my life, eight days old, my parents put an indelible name tag on me. <laughs> and now I'm a Jew. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't think this happened. I don't know if my parents would admit it, but what if they had the wrong kid? You know, the prince and the pauper, the, that story, you know, what if they had the wrong kid? They picked some Catholic kid and they brought him in and then look, and suddenly, oh, look, he's Jewish. He's got a Jewish name tag. You know, now what happens? And, and the Jewish kid is, you know, Pope. So <laughs> the name tags are not just Frank and Kitty and Rami and Austin, et cetera. Another thing about me is I'm a man. It's another name tag that I carry around. And I'm white. It's another name tag. I'm only white in some places. Right? In other places, I'm not white. I'm a Jew. And that's a separate entity. Right? I mean, Jews come in all colors, but lots of people think of them as a separate race in and of themselves. So, I have all of these name tags, all these labels that I carry around, and yet they really don't address who I am or address who I experience myself as being. So think of this. Right now, you're listening to what I'm saying. Who is listening? Are your ears listening? No, your ears are the vehicle through which the sound comes in. But your ears aren't really listening. Your ear isn't going, oh, that's interesting. It doesn't do that. So is your brain listening? Well, you might say, oh, yeah, it's my brain. Everything goes back to my brain, so my brain is listening. But if you ever saw a brain, not your own necessarily, though recently I've had several... Um, brain scans, so I've seen my own brain, it seems pretty inert in there. It just seems like another lump of, of cells. 
Is that what's listening? Or is something else listening? And is the something else that may be listening Rami? Or is it something else? So you're listening to what I'm saying. Then you probably have some thoughts or feelings about what I'm saying. Who thought them? Right? Did you sit, are you sitting there going, okay, wait, let me process this in my little word processor. He said name tags, and what do I think about this? You didn't do that. You just heard something, somehow you heard something, and then somehow a thought about what you heard popped into your head. But did you think that thought? Or are you simply aware of that thought? You have to look and see. I mean, I have my opinion about this, but you can look and see. You can watch your own thoughts, and as you're watching your own thoughts and your own feelings or noticing your own physical sensations, you can ask yourself, who is having that thought? Who's thinking that? Who's feeling that? Because the person who's looking at it doesn't appear to be doing any of it. I was once with, some of you must have heard this story before because I repeat, but uh, I was running a retreat <coughs> at St. Mary's Retreat Center in Swanee, which is a great place to go. And we were talking about the nature of the self or the soul or whatever. And this uh, psychologist, psychiatrist told this story about when he was an intern, just learning how to do psychiatric counseling. And he says he was working out of a uh, an institution where people are, are sent for periods of time to receive psychiatric care. And because he was the new guy in the group who knew the least, they gave him the worst patients. Because the idea was he could do the least amount of damage. These people were so far gone that the doctor could do very little, let alone help them. It couldn't make them any worse. So. He tells a story about one of his earliest patients, which was a 16-year-old boy suffering from acute depression for, for years and years and years. And the boy's been in and out of institutions. He's a professional depressive in a sense, right? He just knows the ropes. So the new doctor says to him, well, tell me about your depression. And the kid runs through his litany of what it is to be depressed. And it's been sharpened and honed by all his other experiences with other mental health workers who uh, you know, he's learned what they respond to and, and what makes sense to them. And he's telling his story, but he's telling it to an audience that he is fairly certain he understands. And when he's done telling the story, which he does very well, the new doctor says, was the you telling me about your depression depressed? Was the you who was telling the story of your depression depressed? Not, oh, that was me in the past or that. As you're telling the story, were you feeling depressed? And the kid said, thought about it for a second, and said, no. And the doctor said, I want to work with that kid, not the depressed kid. I want to work with the kid who can observe the depression and realize at the same time that he's not depressed. Now, it's a little simplistic, but it gets to the, the point that you can observe the workings of your mind. And when you do, you discover 
It's not you doing those things. You can observe being very happy. It doesn't disqualify the happiness, but the observer, if you look carefully, isn't happy or sad or anything else. It hasn't identified with the feeling. It's just observing the feeling. Same thing, you can go to the movies and you can watch uh, a sad movie and something sad happens on the screen and you identify with that and then you get all teary-eyed. But if you realized what was really happening was that you are just aware of the flickering lights on the screen that are presenting this story and that it's not happening to you and it's not you at all, you wouldn't get teary-eyed. You'd just observe the crying actor. It's similar in our own lives where there is this awareness that isn't Rami, that isn't a Jew, that isn't male, that isn't white, that isn't labeled at all, that observes whatever it is that's going on, but doesn't identify with it, doesn't say, that's me. And because it doesn't say, that's me, it's free to engage with what's ever going on when it makes sense to do so. So it's like the bell. You ring the bell, or you call the bell, it says in the program, and the bell always responds purely, unhesitatingly, just the way it's designed to respond. And then it stops eventually. And if you don't invite it to ring again, it doesn't. It doesn't sit there and go, come on, come on, I want to say, I want to ring. <laughs> or, oh no, don't let me ring now, I just got out of the shower. I mean, whatever it is. It doesn't do that, it just rings every time. Unwa well, it wavers, <laughs> but unhesitatingly, without any uh, hesitation or equivocation, it just rings when the moment for ringing is appropriate. But because we identify with all the stuff that we're observing, we get so wrapped up in it that we might find ourselves uh, reacting to things that really don't touch us because we're trapped on the name tag. The name tag says I should do X, Y, or Z, but I really don't have to do X, Y, or Z. It's just a story that I've told myself. So think about it this way. See if I can make sense out of this, if I haven't already. Just take a second and look at your own thoughts, whatever's coming up, doesn't matter. Don't label them, just notice that you're thinking. We're always thinking. Right? There are all those meditation systems that tell you to stop thinking. Well, that only means you're meditating on the idea of not thinking, right? You're still thinking about not thinking. But, so don't stop thinking, just notice that you're thinking. And then to see who's thinking. Because it's, the thoughts are happening here, you're here observing it, so it's not you thinking. It's just thoughts arising. Then, if the thought arises, well, who's this? Then this becomes the thought, and now there's another observer. And who's that? And they go, oh, wait, let me, as soon as you make that the, 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 the object of your thought, that becomes another thought, and then there's still another observer. You can't observe the observer. You can't see the seer. But that's who you really are.
but not the name tag you. That's who you are as an expression of consciousness. That's who you are, or if you don't like the word consciousness, you can use the word God or Brahman or whatever you want to use. But that's what you are when you are the most pure awareness that exists. So, a couple days ago, Jill, Jill said, or no, I think, I think I sent you another, there was another talk title that I thought of at the moment when Jill, Jill always emails me, what are you going to talk about? I go, oh, God, I don't know. And then I send her something, and then in the last case, I go, no, I'm not talking about that. I don't even know what I'm talking I don't even know what that means. So I sent her this one, and it was based on the fact, uh, an experience that somebody had in my head, uh, where I'm, I'm being interviewed by a podcast host, which I'm doing a lot of lately, uh, because my publisher of my last book, my new book, um, hired a publicist who just put me on all kinds of weird shows that have nothing to do with, I'm not reaching the audience I need to, but anyway. Um, I'm on the show, and, and the host of the show says, are you a spiritual being having a material experience, or are you a material being having a spiritual experience? And I said, I don't understand the question. I don't understand the rationale. Why would a spiritual being need a material experience? What does a spiritual being not know that being this would let it know? And why is it important? It's not like the spiritual being needs to become a material being because material beings are the best, right? Because they don't even last. So why do you need that? And conversely, how does a material being have a spiritual experience? What does that even mean? I mean, if you go through my body, you'll only find matter. If you take all my skandhas, the Buddhists call it, all, all my bits and pieces, you're just going to find stuff, stardust. But not consciousness. You're not going to find Rami. You're not going to find an I in there. Just this stuff. So the question makes no sense to me. I'm not a spiritual being having a material experience, and I'm not a material being having a spiritual experience. I, now I'm going to get tripped up on the language, I think, I, whatever you want to say. I am awareness, aware of everything. And then I call it something. Oh, Rami is this. But I know better if I'm thinking about it. You know, if I'm looking, not if I'm thinking. If I'm looking at it, I know better. Now, most people who know me don't want to know better. I don't mean about themselves, I mean about me. I'm going to go home and visit my, my sister and my mom in a couple of days. Um, they don't want, oh, here comes awareness. <laughs> right? They're going to want me as they, as they define me, not even as I define myself. But the real you, and I would say it's the same you that's me, right? There's only one of this, whatever we want to call it. Hindus will call it Atman or Brahman. Um, you can call it God, you can call it reality, you can call it whatever you want, consciousness. But there's only one of it, it's a non-dual thing. But like an ocean with infinite numbers of waves, this non-dual thing manifests as, as an infinite number of forms, not just people, but you know, all, all existence. But there's just one of it. And if I, again, the language is tricky. 
because I was going to say, if I identify with that, then I still have an I identifying with that. So it's still dualistic. But if I look at who's thinking, who's talking, who's listening, who's crying, who's walking, who's whatever, if I practice that and just ask who's doing this, and I realize there's just this awareness, aware of walking happening, but there's no walker, right? If you're walking, you're a walker. And then if you stop walking, where'd the walker go? Right? If you sit down, now you're a sitter. How did you become a walker and then you became a sitter? No, there's just walking and there's just sitting. And then there's this consciousness or mind is, is what uh, Zen Buddhists call it. There's just this mind that's doing all these things, watching all these things happen, and finding it infinitely entertaining, but not identifying with the minutia to the point of being trapped in a cycle of joy and sorrow, but being open to both without saying, oh, no, it's terrible, or oh, yes, it's wonderful. It's more of, of what I call in my book on surrender a sublime melancholy. It's aware of all the suffering in the world, and yet knowing from this, this state of, of consciousness that it's all holy, it's all the divine, it's all, it's all a kind of a kind of ecstasy. It doesn't discount the sadness, and it doesn't, certainly doesn't elevate the joy above the sadness. It just says sadness and joy, and it's all happening, and it's all me. Okay, so here's your homework. So when you get a chance, just take a look at yourself. Could be in a mirror, but you can just look at yourself now. And then ask yourself, who's looking? Because if you're looking at yourself, it's not the self that's looking. Something else is looking. I, again, here's a story I must have told you about my teacher, um, Bert Salzman, who's been dead a long time. And, and Bert is a disciple of Ramana Maharshi, who's been dead even longer. and. All this stuff is, is from the non-dual Advaita tradition of Hinduism, which it says much more eloquently than I did, the basic idea that I've been sharing. And that's Bert's, I can't say his religion, but that's his outlook on the world. That's his experience. And one day Bert called me up. I was living in Florida. Bert was living in uh, uh, La Jolla, California. And he calls me up and he says, Rami, are you sitting down? I said, yeah. He goes, can you see your feet? I said, yeah, Bert, I can see my feet. Can you see your calves? I said, yeah. How about your knees? I said, yeah, Bert, I can see my knees. Thighs, I can see my thighs. How about your stomach? I said, well, yeah, Bert, I cannot avoid seeing my stomach. It's always there. And he goes, can you see your face? And I said, no, Bert, I can't see my face. And he goes, aha! And he hangs up. <laughs> the seer cannot be seen. So look at your, th your body. Look at your thoughts. Ask who's thinking. Look at your feelings. Ask who's feeling this. And what you'll discover, if you do this often enough throughout the day, what you'll discover is that there's a bigger you that doesn't have a name tag. I'm going to call it God. There's this God consciousness that is aware of everything. 
but doesn't have to identify with, with it all. In this way, I think, you practice what the psalmist, the psalm is um, Psalm 46, verse 10, where it says, be still and know that I am God. So first you've got to be still. You know, meaning, just sort of observe what's going on. So you, you still your, your mind, you look at your thoughts, you, you look at your feelings, you look at your body, and you say, who's, who's having these sensations? Who's having these feelings? Who's having these thoughts? And if you do that, you will know, know, not believe, not speculate. You will know in an uh, incontrovertible way that I am is God. Not that I am is God, but that the consciousness that's looking itself, which we call the I am, I'm looking at my body, I'm looking at, right? and then I look at the I am and it's not there because you can't make a subject out of the I am. So it's just this, you can't make an object out of the I am. So it's just this eternal subject called I am in, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Christian Bible. I am is God. And that's the ultimate awakening. It doesn't make life any better, <laughs> but it lets you know what's going on. It allows you to look at the movie of reality and to cry when, you, when it's sad and to laugh when it's, when it's joyous and to, and to engage with other beings in a way that, that allows you to do, to do that without the burden of your name tag, without the burden of, oh, this is me, so I have to do this, doing it spontaneously and purely the way the bell rings spontaneously and purely whenever it's hit. Oh, sorry, buddy. Whenever it's invited to ring. <laughs> so, last piece. Next week, on Sunday, when you come in here and you go to put on your name tag, cross out your name and write God. <laughs>